Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Make sure that you check out Walters' self-pour beer wool. Included on tap is Baby Shark IPA, Sunny Little Thing, Grapefruit Nectar, and more. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He brings in the 2-1. Swinging a high fly ball to straightaway center and deep back in this Rodriguez to the warning track, to the wall. He leaps and it's gone. Joey Manessis hits one over the center field wall just to the right of the 401 mark. And that is the Nationals' first hit, and it's their first run as well. It's now Seattle 2 and the Nationals 1. Pitch blasted to deep left field. Forget about it. That one is way out of here. Up into the club level seats above the video board in left center. Two run shot for Suarez is 23rd, and it's 4 to 1 Seattle. And welcome to Nat Chat for Wednesday, August 24th, 2022, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at T Mobile Park in Seattle. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. As you probably know, there is a tendency for bad teams late in seasons to get no hit. A perfect example would be the Jordan Zimmerman no-hitter, right? A no-no of the Marlins on the final day of the 2014 regular season. The Nats recently have flirted with being no-hit. Look, it may happen at some point over the rest of this season. It could have happened late night on Tuesday night, but the no-no did not happen late night on Tuesday night. And thanks to our guy, Joey Fourbags, a.k.a. Joey Manessis, Top of the seventh, leadoff homer to dead center to cut the Nats deficit to 2-1 and to end the no-hit bid of Mariners starter and former Nats prospect Robbie Ray. The Nats did lose 4-2, but they did not get no hit. And Mark, for these Nats in this season, I suppose that is a victory in and of itself. It's the little things, Al. You know, this is where we are with this team. You take your victories where you get them. Listen, I have kind of been on no-hitter watch for a while now, probably since the trade deadline, certainly. When you look at the lineups that they're putting out there on a nightly basis, some of the pitchers that they're facing, it does feel like, I'm not going to say it's inevitable that it's going to happen, but there are going to be more nights where they at least tempt fate. And this is the fifth time this year they've been no-hit through at least five innings, and four of them have been in the last like month and a half. So it's certainly trending in that direction. Robbie Ray 
had them eating out of his hand for most of the night. The only reason to think it maybe wasn't going to happen was that his pitch count was going to get up there and they maybe wouldn't let him keep going. But even that said, if they had pulled him after, say, seven no-hit innings and gone to their bullpen, their bullpen is gas as well. And, you know, wouldn't have surprised me if they finished it off either. So it's the one thing that's never happened to the Nationals. They've never been no hit, not as the Nationals. You have to go all the way back to 1999 when David Cohn threw a perfect game against the Expos. For now, that streak is intact. But I think before the season is over, we're going to be talking about this again as at least them flirting with disaster. Yeah, it has happened and uh, it's probably going to continue to happen. The Nats being in that danger zone. And, you know, if you go to MLB.com, you see the like little no hitter alert when you look up at the top of the page and they have all the scores. And like, you know, the Nats are probably going to be in one of those scores multiple times down the stretch of the season. But hopefully, they do not get no-no'd. They did not get no-no'd on Tuesday night. Nats did finish with uh, two runs, five hits, two walks for them in the game. One for four with runners in scoring position. Well, the offense basically was Joey Manessis, uh, to a lesser extent, Lane Thomas. But Joey Manessis on Tuesday night had the home run, also had a double. So he ends up with six total bases in the game. The homer off Robbie Ray was certainly impressive. Dead center, like I said, 410 feet per stat cast. It had been a, a while, at least by Joey Manessa's standards, uh, since he had homered. This was his sixth home run in 18 career major league games here. And then he had the double. Manessis in an at one run ninth, a leadoff double off the left field wall on a one-two pitch. I almost feel like it's kind of more impressive that Manessis homers now as opposed to like all the homers being bunched in tight like they were earlier because it kind of suggests that, you know, maybe this isn't just a cute little fluke that we saw that the guy legitimately can hit. I mean, Joey Manessis now 73 career major league plate appearances. He's slugging 614. I mean, the homers are great. As we've talked about, though, it's not just the homers. And he on Tuesday night had that impressive double. Yeah. And he admitted afterwards that he does notice pitchers are starting to treat him a little different, trying to exploit some weaknesses that they've discovered in him. So I think it's a good sign that he's been able to fight that off. And, you know, he hadn't homered in eight games, but he's still getting singles. He's still getting hits almost every night. And so I think that is a pretty good sign that this guy appears to be a real hitter. Now, I mean, it's still very small sample. Even if he finishes out the year, And we say, boy, that was an impressive two months for him. That doesn't guarantee anything for next year and beyond. But at a time when they desperately need any offense they can get, this guy's been a saving grace for them. I mean, he's hitting second on this team and rightfully so. I don't know if there's anybody else you would say deserves to be hitting in that spot right now than Joey Manessas. And how crazy is that? If I had said that to you a month ago, you wouldn't have believed me. You probably had never even heard of Joey Manessas at that point. Yeah, I don't know that anyone in this lineup right now deserves to hit one through five, to be honest with you. But yeah, you got to fill out nine spots. So you go with Joey four bags in the two spot. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about Manessis and, you know, it's always interesting how baseball can play out. So here we had on Tuesday, the Nats sending Tres Pereira down, bringing back Riley Adams from AAA Rochester. We also had on Tuesday night, Lane Thomas having two hits, including an RBI single in the ninth inning. Last season, as the season went on, Lane Thomas, Riley Adams, and even Tress Barrera, to an extent, hit pretty well. And you said to yourself, well, wow, you know, these guys did a pretty good job. Maybe the Nats have something in one or more of these guys moving forward. And sure enough, this season, all three guys, for the most part, have struggled mightily at the major league level. So when you see someone do well over the remaining months of a lost season, it can mean something. 
it also cannot mean much. And so with Joey Manessis, we just don't know. I mean, we might be making Joey Manessis jokes years from now about, hey, remember what he did over the final two months of 2022? I think it's instructive when you look at Thomas Adams Barrera last season and what those guys have been at the major league level so far this season. So we don't know. And this may be going nowhere, but it is fun and it is impressive what Manessis is doing. Yeah, I think you make a great point there. Lane Thomas is a perfect example of it. At the end of last year, you thought, oh, wow, they just found themselves their leadoff hitter and starting center fielder for the future. And they got him for John Lester, who was at the end of his career at that point. Well, hasn't quite worked out that way, although Lane has done a better job lately. He's still come nowhere close to being as productive as he was last year. Riley Adams, who we all kind of got excited about last year. He's got a long way to go still. I mean, they wanted to bring him back up. He's going to get his opportunities now to play the rest of the way, but he needs to show that he actually is the hitter that he looks like he should be. You look at him physically and you think, this guy's a big league hitter. He hasn't really shown that outside of a few big swings here and there. So you do have to be careful not to buy into this too much until you see them over a longer period of time. And I think especially in a case like this, you take what you get from them oh, in August and September, but what really matters is next April and May, once there's some more experience, once teams know who they are, have a plan against them, can they keep it going or are the you know holes in their swing exposed by then? Lane Thomas on Tuesday night, two for four, RBI single and an infield single. He was an ad starting center fielder and number five batter to give you a sense of the state of the lineup. Did have a good looking two-out opposite field ribby single through the right side of the infield in that top of the ninth, cut the Nats deficit to 4-2. So Riley Adams, uh, the Nats on Monday optioned Tress Pereira to AAA Rochester, recalled Riley Adams from Rochester. This was the opposite of what we had on July 1st when the Nats optioned Adams to Rochester and recalled Barrera from Rochester. Uh, Adams struggled mightily at the major league level prior to being sent down. Barrera struggled mightily uh, over these last few weeks. And so now the old switcheroo has been enacted once again. Adams was an at starting catcher on Tuesday night, uh, 0 for 3 with two strikeouts. Do you know, is there any plan to have Adams play any first base here at the major league level? Uh, I know that we're trying to do some of that in Rochester. He did play some at first base at Rochester, not a ton. I still get the sense that they view him first and foremost as a catcher above all else. And let's be honest, until he really shows that he can hit consistently, I don't know that it's worth it to think of him as a first baseman. They also, at the moment, are kind of waterlogged with first baseman slash DH types. You have Nelson Cruz. When he plays, he has to DH. That means Luke Voigt, if he plays, has to play first base, which bumps Joey Manessas to right field. Not really his natural position. So are you going to sit one of those guys just to get Riley Adams a game at first base. Maybe there'll be a day when somebody needs a day off and they would do that. But I don't think that's really high on their minds right now of trying to make him into a first baseman. He's got to show he can hit uh, at the big league level before they do anything. And really, I think at this point, you know, he's not going to be the everyday answer a catcher. They know they have that guy in Caber Ruiz. So if you're going to make it as a backup catcher in the big leagues, you got to be defense first. So I think they would be perfectly fine if Riley Adams focuses on his game calling, his pitch framing, his throws down to second base. Become good at that. Try to be productive enough as a hitter to stick up here. Maybe someday there's an opportunity to see what he does at first base. Maybe next year when they're not as you know bogged down with as many of those big lumbering sluggers who don't have a position to play, you might have the opportunity. But I think right now his focus needs to be on proving that he should be their number two catcher moving forward because he has not locked that up yet. 
he has not done enough to show that he deserves that job. No. And I mean, we had the conversation last year. It looked like the Nats had three promising young catchers in Ruiz and Adams and Barrera. And right now it looks like you have one in Ruiz and you're not sure what to think about Adams uh, and Barrera. You mentioned Luke Voigt. He was back on Tuesday night, back from a three-game absence caused by back tightness. He was the starting first baseman. He went 0 for 4 with a strikeout. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It is time for Window Nation's back to school sale. And what a sale this is. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. Lower your energy bills. Raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Get an A-plus in savings by taking advantage of the back-to-school sale. Again, two free windows for every two that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Window Nation knows exactly what it's doing. The average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with over 20,000 windows installed. And Window Nation offers a variety of windows. Over 1,500 custom window combinations are available, vinyl, wood, and fiberglass. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you and ask for the back-to-school sale. Again, buy two windows, get two windows free on any style of new window from Window Nation, plus pay nothing until 2025. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION, windownation.com or 866-90-NATION, and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We had him penciled in for about 80, 80, 85 pitches. So 
He threw the ball well. You know, we talked after he came out. He said he felt great. Um, you know, and once again, we talk a lot about you know the O twos, the two twos, three twos. Um, once once we could clear that up, I mean, uh, he, he could pitch six, seven innings. You know, so um, you know, but I thought I thought tonight was was a, a great outing for him coming back off the IL. So uh, you know, next time he'll, he'll be stretched out to go maybe you know ninety. It had been a while since we had seen. Eric Fetty, the Nats on Tuesday returned him from his rehab assignment, reinstated him from the 15-day injured list. He had been on that uh, retroactively since July 27th due to right shoulder inflammation. And Eric Fetty on Tuesday night was good. Two runs in five innings, six strikeouts versus one walk. Uh, He only gave up three hits, a homer, and two singles. He threw 81 pitches over his five innings, which by Eric Fetty in efficiency standards is actually quite efficient. That's like Greg Maddox circa 95. But the only damage off Fetty in this game came in the bottom of the fourth. Uh, gave up a leadoff single to Jesse Winker. Gave up a two-run homer to Mitch Hanniger to left field for a 2-0 Mariners lead. But I loved how Fetty responded to that. Three consecutive strikeouts to end the inning as a return start. This is pretty good from Fetty on Tuesday night. He was really pleased with this and said that he felt like the best version of himself really for the first time this year. I think it turns out he was dealing with some stuff a little longer than he let on and it was affecting his performance on the mound, especially with his breaking ball. He was raving about how good that pitch felt, not just tonight, but really throughout his rehab. He was throwing, I think he threw like 24 curveballs and was throwing it harder than he used to. He really, really felt good about the way that pitch was going for him. And Yeah, he was pulled after the five innings, and uh, that was because they knew it was his first start back. They weren't going to take any chances and not risking pushing him beyond where he should, but they will let him go more as they proceed. They were very pleased with that for a first time back. You know, it's one start. I want to make too much out of it, but I thought that was a really good sign. And he seems like a guy who is determined to put together a strong finish to the season physically and see that show up in the performance because let's remember, we don't really talk about him in terms of a long-term part of their puzzle in the rotation, but he's got an opportunity here because of all the other lack of production they have in their rotation to show that he should still be considered a part of this. And he's got you know about six weeks now to go out and pitch every fifth day and make his case for himself. It's almost spooky how Fetty's 2022 season is like his 2021 season. Last season, Fetty first 10 starts, ERA a 3.33, then got COVID, then missed time due to injury, a left oblique strain, and his numbers ended up cratering over the course of the rest of the season. This season, Eric Fetty first nine starts, ERA a 3.55, then struggled. He ends up missing a good bit of time with an injury, in this case, right shoulder inflammation, and now he's back. It would be nice if, like you said, instead of last season, in which, again, his numbers just fell off a cliff, if he could sort of right the ship here over the course of the rest of the season. I mean, his ERA this season had ballooned above five at uh, one point. He's got it down now to 488. It would be nice to lower that even more. And, you know, like you said, go into the offseason at least feeling semi-decent about yourself. I don't think anyone has any grand designs on Fetty ever becoming, you know, the number one pitcher he was drafted to be. But especially on this team, he could be your number three or number four next year. Who knows? I mean, you, you know, we don't know what's, where we're headed with this starting pitching. And, you know, Fetty's a guy who we have seen in a pretty good number of starts this year be all right. Like, he's not a disaster every time out there. You know, when he's bad, he can be quite bad. But he has had a good number of, like, solid outings this season. 
he gives them a chance when he throws strikes enough, when he doesn't fall into that trap of getting ahead in the count 0 and 2, then all the next thing you know, it's 3 and 2 and he's running up the pitch count because guys are fouling off things left and right. He has the ability to say, give you six innings and give you a chance. So I think this is kind of his last shot though, because you got to figure by next year, you are going to start to see the young guys, Gore, Cavalli, Gray are going to be front and center. We'll see if they go out and spend any money on another experienced starting pitcher over the winter. I mean, Fetty right now, believe it or not, at least on the healthy roster, is the most senior member of the entire roster, entire team right now. Strasburg's been here longer, but obviously we haven't seen him in a long time. So he does kind of have a position of some like seniority around here, but he's still got to earn it. He's got to show that he should still be a part of this and that they're not ready to move on from him. So you're telling me next spring there might be some version, albeit a modified version of Eric Fetty, where does he fit into the rotation? You can't do Fetty, Joe Ross, Austin Voth. You can't write that piece, but you might still be able to write the Eric Fetty piece come spring training, right? He's the last man standing from that great trio of spring training your every year, those three, who's going to win the job? Well, it's just down to Fetty. Now, he, he's the last man standing. Can he keep this going or are they going to be 0 for 3 on those guys? Three Nats relievers pitched late night on Tuesday night at Seattle. Uh, two of them were good. One was not so good. Victor Arano tossed a perfect bottom of the sixth. Steve Ciszek then was a mess in a two-run Mariners seventh. He faced four batters. He got no outs. We have said this with Ciszek. When he's on, he's actually pretty good. When he's off, he can be really bad, and he was really bad on Tuesday night. Now, he did not hit a batter with a pitch. That in and of itself is a win for Ciszek, but... He gave up a home run, two singles, and a walk. And the homer that he gave up was some shot, a two-run homer by Eugenio Suarez on a bomb to left field for a 4-1 Mariners lead, 430 feet per stat cast. You know, this was a game, even with the Nats getting no hit for so long in the game, this was a 2-1 ball game. And then Ciszek comes in and makes a mess of that seventh inning. Only was a two-run inning, but still, I mean, he just could not get anybody out. But then Corey Abbott came in. And we had a busy day for the Nats in terms of roster transactions. They DFA'd Tyler Clippard. We can get to that in a moment. But Corey Abbott was not optioned to AAA Rochester. He was maintained at the major league level, and he rewarded the Nats with that. Abbott came in, faced six batters, and got six outs. So some really good stuff for Murano and Abbott, and obviously a bad outing for Ciszek. So I am curious what they're going to do here with Abbott. I think there are people in the organization that think that could be a role for him to actually have some success. Not a long man, but like a two or maybe three inning reliever who can hump it up a little bit and throw a little harder. He was throwing some gas there those last two innings when you're not worried about trying to save it for five, six innings that you're going as a starter. So I thought it was telling because they could have optioned him down. They chose instead to put him in the bullpen. And I I do have to wonder... (laughs) I hate to say it, but you wonder if Tyler Clippert, as he was making the long flight home from Seattle to Tampa, where he lives, suddenly out of work, if he's thinking to himself when he see, saw Steve Ciszek's pitching line, boy, they kept him and not me. That was not the wrong call on the Nationals' part. Ciszek has been better than Clippert this year. But boy, for what we all hope would be a feel-good story with Tyler Clippert, it really did not work out. He only ends up making four appearances for them. Spent time on the IL. It was not a a very welcome homecoming. And for a 37-year-old who's had a great career, no doubt about it, uh, you do wonder if this is the end of the road for him. Yeah. I mean, it's the obvious thought. And, you know, if it is, look, he's had an excellent career. You certainly could make the case he's the best reliever 
in Nats history. But I do wonder, I mean, do we need to write a note of apology to Mike Rizzo for all those times we brought up, hey, why aren't you calling up Tyler Clippard from AAA Rochester? Nats in March signed Clippard to a minor league contract. He was at Rochester for a lot longer than anyone ever anticipated. Pitched well for Rochester, 33 games, ERA at 248, strikeouts per nine innings at 1214. Finally gets called up on July 13th. He, soon after getting called up, winds up on the 15-day injured list. He was on that retroactively July 19th to August 12th with a groin strain. And like you said, he only ends up making four appearances. And man, he did not look good in those appearances. He was hitting guys. He was all over the place in terms of his control. So I don't know if Rizzo saw things at AAA that indicated to him that Clippard still doesn't have it. I mean, the numbers for Clippard at Rochester were good. The peripherals were good. You know, I don't know if they called him up too late and he just was out of gas by the time he got here. I don't know what happened, but clearly he was not up to the task at the major league level this season. He did come off like a reliever who's done, who's shot. Yeah, I, I do wonder, it's unfortunate, that little groin injury, which happened not while he was pitching, it was while he was warming up for what would have been his second appearance. I do wonder if not for that, would things have been a little bit different here? You know, he didn't get a whole lot of opportunity after that to pitch and I think his last appearance came like after he had a week off. He was active. They just didn't use him at all because he had been struggling. Now, that's his own fault. If he had pitched well enough, they would have gone to him more regularly. But of all things on this team to actually have some quality depth that was in the bullpen over the last month or so, we've seen that develop. And so when it came time for somebody to have to move, there really was nobody else you could make a strong case for. It's unfortunate. Again, I wonder if not for that little groin injury, would things have been any different? But that's the way it worked. And you hope it's not the end for him. But if it is a really, really good career, and I don't think these four outings this year are going to overshadow anything that he did. I mean, he was 14 years as one of the most reliably effective relievers in baseball. Hardly ever got hurt. A good chunk of that was with the Nationals. He was really excited to come back here for them. And I, I couldn't believe that the symmetry of it, whatever you want to call it, um, his first win as a National came here in Seattle in 2008, back when he was a starter. And he ends up getting DFA'd in Seattle before he ever got a chance to pitch here again. It's funny how that works. Yeah, I mean, I remember Tyler Clippard as a starter with the Yankees and John Sterling, you know, because he always has nicknames for people calling him the Yankee Clippard, you know, and like that's when I first knew of Tyler Clippard. So, you know, you see what happens with guys over the course of their careers. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Tyler Clippard, his first stint with the Nats, 08 through 14, he, over those seven seasons, had an ERA of 268 over 464 innings. He, in each of five consecutive seasons, 2010 through 2014, appeared in at least 72 games through at least 70 and a third innings. I mean, durability and high-level pitching, those two things, you do not see them in combination often with relief pitchers. You saw that. Like so many relievers are so fickle and year to year. This guy for a massive chunk of time was good and durable. That is so rare. And continued to do it after that. I think a lot of people thought, well, if they're getting rid of him, they must have a sense that he's not going to hold up long term. And I remember back in the day, because his delivery was so violent, everyone thought, oh, he's just waiting for some kind of major injury to happen. And until I think it was just a year or two ago in Arizona is the first time he suffered any kind of significant arm injury. And so even though he bounced around, I think it's 10 different teams that he was with between stints with the Nationals 
he still was really effective and pretty durable through all of that. And in an industry where you just don't see many guys who do that, I think there's a whole lot to be said for it. He can hold his head up high, having had a very, very good career at a position where not many guys are able to do that. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. The way I take care of my mind is daily exercise. It is essential for me. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps. There's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Everyone I know who does therapy swears by it. It feels like all I hear these days is how you have to start doing therapy. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you don't have to fight traffic or look for parking. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash NatsChat. That's BetterHelp.com slash NatsChat. Race sets. Long hold. Throws over to first. The runner goes. The throw by France to second is there in plenty of time. Frazier applies the tag. Robbie Reyes' is fifth pickoff of the season. And the putout going 1-3-4, and so Cruz will have to start next inning at the plate. Well, we did have another base running boo-boo for the Nats in this game on Tuesday night. It's not a Nats game these days without someone being thrown out on the base paths. Alex Call was your Nats starting left fielder and number one batter. 0-for-2 with a walk, top of the fourth leadoff, seven-pitch walk, then gets picked off and caught stealing second base. For the third out, you know, we've talked about this a million times. The Nats this season have been awful on the base paths. Do you know, do they work on any of this stuff in season? Is it almost impossible to work on these things in season? Because it seems like they could use some work on this stuff in the middle of this season. There are things they can do and you see them working on it from time to time, you know, early on in batting practice and things like that. You know, they'll work on their leads. They'll have like usually a coach standing on the mound, giving kind of looks over and sort of, you know, fake like he's going to throw a pickoff throw. And there are things you can do. Nothing simulates real game action, of course. Robbie Ray leads the majors in pickoffs. So he's got a good move. There's something to that. But yeah, this was an ugly one, especially against a guy where you know these opportunities are not going to come along very often. You really can't afford to let that happen. It's been a problem. We've talked all year, base running, defense, so many little fundamental things they have not done well. And listen, they're losing games right now, very low scoring games. They're getting pretty decent pitching. They're not scoring runs. So if you're going to have any chance of winning these games, you got to do all the other little things right. And even one or two little mistakes like that, whether it's in the field or on the bases, sometimes these are actually costing them games right now. Yes. The team with a manager who so often touts the little things is not so good at the little things. The little things have been big problems for this team this season. Well, we had significant news on the Nats' ownership front on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, the Washington Post reporting that Ted Leonsis has emerged as a potential bidder for the Nats, saying that uh, Ted's monumental sports and entertainment has been granted access to the Nats' financial data. Now, this is not the first time that Ted's name has come up regarding the Nats. Forbes, all the way back on April 14th, reported that Ted and this guy, David Rubenstein, were going to be teaming up to make a bid on the Nats. So, you know, it's not necessarily new that Ted is involved here. There are other names that have been coming up. There's billionaire Michael B. Kim. His name has come up. Uh, A mortgage mogul, Stanley Middleman. Uh, His name has come up. 
the reporting continues to be that there's an expectation that, that the Nats will be sold at some point this offseason. We also on Tuesday had this, the Angels announcing that their owner, Artie Moreno, is exploring the option of selling that team. Now, if you're MLB, do you want two teams up for sale at the same time? Is that something that MLB would want? Would MLB say, hey, hold on, Artie, we're going to take care of the Nats first and then deal with you? What do you suppose this Angels thing might mean for the Nats sale? Probably not something that MLB typically would want to have going on simultaneously, although you're not going to have overlapping bidders, I wouldn't think. You've got a West Coast team, very different situation than the one in uh, in D.C. And if Moreno is just starting the process now, then maybe that's going to take a little longer. Remember, we first heard of the Nationals doing this back in April, so that kind of puts them ahead of the curve, I would think. They're farther along in the process, obviously, right now. Now, as far as Ted Leonsis goes, and you know, I'll be careful what I'm saying here, but I understand why for a lot of people in D.C., that seems like an attractive option. Here's somebody who knows how to own a local team, multiple teams, has won a title with one of them, has done a lot of good things, a lot of progressive things. I do wonder if you're Major League Baseball, if you want to go and give one of your teams to somebody who already owns two other franchises in other sports. I think they worry about cash flow and about if something goes wrong with the other part of the monumental sports empire, the effect that could have on the nationals. I think in their perfect world, they have somebody who is committed to just owning the baseball team, putting all their time, effort, resources into that, as opposed to somebody who's diversified around like that. There haven't been very many baseball owners who also own other teams. Ted Turner was the most notable one owning three teams. And remember, Stan Kasten was actually team president of all three of those teams for a while. The Braves, the Hawks, and the Thrashers, who no longer exist. That's not a model that MLB likes to operate under. And so I do think that, let's just remember this, it isn't as simple as whoever Mark Lerner wants to sell the team to, that's who it happens. I think it's two-thirds of MLB owners have to approve it. And so it doesn't just guarantee that it would be the preferred choice like that. Yeah, I wonder about the structure of a Ted Leonsis-led ownership group. I mentioned this guy, David Rubenstein. He's worth a lot more than Ted Leonsis is worth. Ted has a real-time net worth per Forbes of $1.6 billion. Rubenstein, $3.3 billion. He's worth twice as much as Ted is worth. So I don't know if Ted would kind of be the front man, but actually the real money man would be Rubenstein. I'm not sure how that that would be structured. The other thing is this, and this is impossible to ignore, this Ted Leonsis item in the post comes on the same day on which Monumental Sports and Entertainment and Comcast Corporation announced that they've entered into an agreement under which Monumental is going to buy out the NBC Universal 67% stake in NBC Sports Washington. Uh, Monumental already had owned a third of NBC Sports Washington. So Ted is getting himself his own network. And so you wonder what that might mean in all of this here. There's a lot happening right now, and there's a lot that could be changing uh, in the coming months. Yeah, there is. And again, I have to be careful what I talk about here as an employee of Masson, but I'll just say this. I know as much as a lot of people would love to see the Nationals get their own TV rights back. It's a very complicated deal, and it's not something that can just easily be taken away or sold away. That is a thing that has been in court for a long time, and they are contractually bound to Masson in perpetuity 
unless some kind of deal is struck between all the parties involved. And as we've seen over the years, there has not been a whole lot of cooperation between them. So to me, the Leonsis and monumental purchasing of NBC Sports Washington adds a whole other complication to that, that it would not be nearly as simple as maybe some people want to believe it would be if he was awarded the Nationals as the new owner. And I'll throw another wrinkle into everything, and you don't have to respond to this if you don't want to, but you know what's going on with the Angelos family and this family feud and Louis Angelos filing a lawsuit against John Angelos and their mother, Georgia Angelos, for control of the Orioles and what that could mean for ownership of the Orioles and thus ownership of Masson and where we could be headed there. Again, I don't think we can emphasize this enough. We are in a time of extreme uncertainty right now in a lot of areas. And so, so much could be changing over the next, I don't know, 12, 18 months, whatever it might be. So hold on tight because things may be evolving with the Nats, with the O's, with Masson, with a lot of things here in baseball right now. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast, hit up Tim Shover's Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. You can find us on Instagram too, uh, at Nats Chat Podcast. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.